Folks, it's Masters Week, which means that the eyes of the sports world are focused on Augusta, Georgia, and the biggest tournament of the year. So what do we know about this November tournament unlike any other? What are the burning questions that we still want answered? We brought in some experts to figure it out. I'm Dylan DeChair, and this is The Drop Zone. All right, folks, I'm settled in Augusta, Georgia, in a rental house about a half mile from Magnolia Lane and from the front gate. And instead of just putting my own knowledge to the test, I figured, why not lean on the collective knowledge of all the experts at Golf Magazine and Golf.com? So I lined up some brief chats with some of my colleagues, some of my friends, uh, about a half dozen staffers to give a little more insight on the week to come. First up is Luke Curtinine, our head of service content, who doubles as our Bryson DeChambeau whisperer. There's nobody more in the spotlight than Bryson this week, and there's probably nobody in the media that knows Bryson better than Luke. So what should we expect from Bryson? What's it going to look like? How bad does he want it? Here's Luke. So the big thing we need to know with Bryson is that he is definitely like all systems go in terms of game plan. We know how Bryson is planning to play this event, Mm -hmm. just lots of drivers, swing really hard, hit that draw, and that's definitely what he plans to do this week. He's going to try to go full whole ham on a whole bunch of holes. Mm -hmm. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that. The one big caveat to that is he's probably not going to do it with a 48-inch driver. Mm -hmm. In fact, it would be surprising to see him do it with a 48-inch driver. He feels like he's gotten really close during the whole testing process, but his numbers just aren't quite where he wants them to be. So it looks like he's gonna bench that idea for this week, but he is going to swing aggressive with the club that won him at Wingfoot. I mean, so it was the driver, obviously, and then also it was the putter, I guess, that helped him win at Wingfoot. Do you know like what he's been working on in these weeks since we've last seen him? So talked to him earlier today with our colleague, Sean Zach, and he said that he's very well aware that putting has held him back in the past, and that is ultimately gonna be why he wins this one this week, if he does. Uh, he says he's been focusing a lot on the green contours, on understanding the slopes, on understanding how the ball, uh, change, how the role of the ball, excuse me, changes throughout the course of the day in different conditions, when the courses firm up, all that good stuff. So he's been really focusing on his green reading. Less execution, more planning. Have you thought about where he's going to hit his tee shots and do any holes stand out as like, wow, he could really overpower this one hole if he just does X, Y, or Z? So he had half a sand wedge into his first hole. So he's planning on trying to hit driver over everything on that hole. That's going to be the big one. He says he can reach it if it's dry, which seems mind-blowing to me. But um, he says he can roll it up there if it does bake out. doesn't look like it's going to bake out, though. But either way, his plan is to have a flip sandwich into that. He wants to carry the fairway bunker on two on the par five, which means he's going to be eyeing an eagle there. And then the other big hole uh, that he talks about, or the other two big holes, actually, on 18, he wants to just aim at that bunker, take the Tiger Woods line in 97, aim at the ferry bunker, just try to hit it over it into oblivion. Mm. And then early on the uh, 13th hole, he wants to try to cut the corner with a high draw. So those are his sort of game plan lines this week. 18, that's so interesting because there is just infinite room over there. It's, it's not even like the golf course over there. It's just sort of nice Augusta National grass. Yeah, exactly. Um, nice Augusta National grass and 
you know that he kept talking about Tiger Woods's line in 1997 as a sort of model for him mm. that that he he was hitting it into places that nobody else in the field could and so that's very much his inspiration this week and that's why he talks about that line on 18 as being the Tiger Woods line lastly how much do you think Bryson wants to win this golf tournament you know he, he's an interesting guy in terms of motivations he doesn't necessarily play that much golf when he's not at tournaments but how much does he care about this event so I think this is the one that he's always wanted, right? For lack of a better word. I know that's a bit of a cliche, um, but this is the one that he played in as an amateur when he uses it very much as the sort of the North Star of his game, really. You know, what am I gonna do at the Masters? He's doing all this because he wants to maximize Mm. his potential on Augusta National. And one thing that I find really interesting is that even though Bryson isn't one of these like golfers golfers in the sense where he's like a course architecture nerd and Mm -hmm. he plays all the time that's not really what he does but he does tend to win on these like very iconic venues right he's won it he won out in chicago he won his usm out in chicago he won at winged foot and now he's playing augusta national and i think that's sort of part of his appeal for why he loves this Mm -hmm. place he wants to engrave his name into sort of the history books into or to make his sort of imprint on these legendary courses so it's definitely a huge factor for him All right, next up is Jonathan Wall, our managing editor of equipment. He is the absolute gear guru in the golf world. He's the best. I wanted to get his takes because in golf, equipment is at the forefront of the entire sport, the entire conversation. And it's really, especially at that forefront this week, when conversations about distance, about the golf ball, about golf clubs are really dominating, you know, the the discourse. So what should we be looking for? What are the big storylines? Here's Jay Wall to break it down. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's interesting because you you think about, or at least I do, the changes that that happen the week of the Masters. I um, this is this is supposed to be April. We're supposed to be looking mm-hmm. at at changes for you know Augusta. They're, they're the normal ones. You, you see players, you know, putting in fresh wedges because they're, they're trying to get a little bit more zip. Uh, typically see more higher lofted fairway woods as guys start to attack the par fives at Augusta, um, the, the normal changes, it, it, but it, it just, you know, 2020 has, has thrown us many curveballs, And I think we're, we're in for some very interesting ones. And the, the number one for me has to be players that are going to be using drivers above, you know, 45 and a half inches, which is considered long on tour. Yeah, you know, now we're seeing guys creep into the 46, 47, maybe even 48. Yeah. Bryson uses his 48. But yeah, it has to be players going to longer driver shafts to try and pick up additional distance. I mean, it's been sort of conventionally accepted, right? For as long as I've been aware of things that you just don't have really a driver longer than like 45, 45 and a half. Now the window has just shifted like dramatically in what, the last few months, basically? This, this to me, Dylan, is, is one of the, the most fascinating shifts in professional golf from an equipment standpoint. Because most of the time, you, you, at least from my perspective, I, I see these changes happening mm-hmm. far enough out where I have kind of runway to react to them. And then this one really kind of like came out of left field. It, it started with Bryson kind of talking about testing 48 inch drivers for the masters. And it was like, he wins the U S he wins the U S open and he doesn't even win it with a 48 inch driver, but Mm -hmm. 
But yeah. just the mere, the mere fact that he's testing gets guys wondering if they should try something longer. And lo and behold, there are mm-hmm. guys that are now using it even before Bryson has even put it in play, which I just think is absolutely yeah. wild. So, all right. So for, for the people that, um, that don't necessarily listen to your fully equipped podcast every week, what are the implications of an extra inch or two on the driver? Like w- what potential advantages does that give you having a longer driver like that? And how big are those differences? Yeah. So, so this is an interesting one that, you know, 48 inches, if you were to look in like the long drive, uh, scene, extremely common 48 inch mm-hmm. drivers are, are very common in the PGA tour world, 44 and a half, 45, maybe 45 and a half. Um, when you go beyond that kind of, I, I guess I would kind of call it like the boundary line of 45 and a half, golfers, pro golfers start to get a little bit twitchy only because mm. there, there is a, a gain, there are gains to be had. The gains as you go longer in the driver shaft is you're going to be getting more of that whip effect with your driver shaft which is going to, it's going to add club head speed, which in turn should add more ball speed. Now those two things put together equal more distance. And it's the distance that tour players care about, which is the carry distance. You know, they're not, it's tough to account for the rollout. So that's, that's the gains that can be had. But when you go longer, you're giving up something. And it's something that to pro golfers can be very important depending on the course they're playing, which is accuracy. So it, it makes it more difficult to rotate the club head and square it up, even if you're a really accurate ball striker. So that's the reason why you typically don't see tour players go beyond 46 is because they just feel like at that point, the accuracy starts to become so wildly inconsistent that it really, it's kind of like the juice really isn't worth the squeeze. Or mm-hmm. It really wasn't until recently when players started you know, testing like hardcore testing, you know, 46, 47, 48. Yeah. Well, and, and one of the interesting things is we're obviously at golf's most famous ballpark this week, right? Augusta national, even the casual fans know, you know, all the holes on the back nine, all the par fives, that sort of thing. So guys are a going to be swinging away and B they're going to be hitting it a mile. So do you think that this idea of distance is going to be really at the forefront now this week, like more than ever? I think so. I, you know, with, with everything that's happening right now, I, I do. I think here's an interesting, and I keep, I keep wondering if this is going to happen. What happens if somebody wins? And not, not just Bryson, but what happens if another tour pro who's, who's gone to, I mean, look, I'll use Adam Scott as an example. Mm-hmm. You know, in Houston, Adam Scott was doing ball testing with titles, new Pro V1X. And instead of just going and saying, all right, I'm just going to use the same driver build he tested Title's newest driver. It's called the TSI. Yeah. And while testing it, he decided to test longer driver shafts. Well, he ended up in a 46-inch driver shaft, which is longer, <laughs> even by just a little bit, longer than the standard length on tour. Well, Adam Scott led the field in driving distance in Houston, and he Damn. produced the longest drive of the week, 369 yards. So, wow. yeah, I mean, you, you are seeing some players who are finding benefits, and it makes you wonder, you know, if a guy finds an edge at Augusta and manages to win with a longer driver shaft, do we see more players than we are even right now? You know, more than Phil Mickelson, Adam Scott, and a handful of others. Does this become very commonplace? 
And, you know, Augusta is one of those ballparks where there's enough room to miss it left and right yeah. where it's, it's a little bit easier to consider the idea of putting one of those longer shafts in play. There are no spectators this year, which means that there will be even more scrutiny than usual on the broadcast itself. But luckily, we've got James Colgan, who's become somewhat of a broadcast expert for us at Golf.com. And he actually is the voice of one, too. You'll, you'll hear. He sort of sounds like a young Joe Buck. Uh, but he joined to break down the broadcast, what this week means for CBS, and uh, what we should look for as viewers. Well, I think if you're looking as far as uh, television storylines are concerned, there are really two big ones. One that's really important for the viewer and one that's really important, you know, more in the TV community. Um, for the viewer, it's that we've never had a golf tournament at Augusta National without fans. And because of that, we're going to get a really interesting vantage point into the action that we haven't been able to have for years because of the fact mm -hmm. that there have been fans. We'll have different camera angles that CBS has talked about, including microphones to different places. I know that the 18th green is going to have a different uh, sort of broadcast setup than we're used to. So all of these changes are going to be kind of interesting to see. It'll, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see from the viewer's perspective how much different it looks. Obviously, Augusta National is rather tight-lipped about these things, so we don't know exactly how this is going to shape out, but I can tell you that this is going to look different for most fans than any Masters they've watched on TV. Then from the side of the sort of, you know, TV, uh, you know, meta conversation about what's going on, CBS is having its last Masters with Lance Barrow as the lead producer. Um, mm -hmm. Barrow's been the producer for actually as long as I've been alive. He started in 1997, <laughs> which was two months before I was born. Um, so that should tell you a little bit about the longevity of this position. There have really only ever been two lead producers for CBS. And it was first Frank Cherkanian, who's the most famous golf television producer of all time, and then Barrow for the last 23 years. So that should tell you that this is pretty momentous that this is his, his last master. So it, it will be sort of an interesting thing to watch, see if they make sort of any mention of that on the, uh, on the broadcast. Definitely. All right. All good stuff. One interesting crossover that's happening this year. We're in the middle of football season now. This doesn't usually happen. College game day is in town. Uh, what other concessions are being made this weekend? What's this all going to look like? How are the schedules going to change to accommodate, you know, what is, to be fair, America's biggest, most watched sport? Well, I think first, I haven't really seen this discussed anywhere, but it's unequivocally true. It has to be true that the Masters allowed, Augusta National allowed college game day only on the basis of the fact that it was not allowed to have the part three contests this year. If they mm -hmm. had the part three contest, which is normally broadcast on ESPN, I don't think ESPN is bringing the college game day crew into Augusta national for Masters Saturday. That just right. seems sort of unrealistic to me. I think this was a little bit of a trade-off on their point, but it, it will still be interesting to watch college game day is sort of melded through a few different uh, iterations where now it tries to go to places where college football doesn't normally exist. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle it at like maybe the world's most uptight golf course. So I'm, I'm very, I'm very interested to see how that plays out because those two things seem to be sort of in juxtaposition to one another. Um, and then there's the whole thing with, with the scheduling. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. SEC football, NFL football, what's going on? Well, 
on both weekend days, CBS is adjusting its typical broadcast schedule to account for the fact that it has a major SEC football game on Saturday evening, and then it has the four o'clock slate of football games on Sunday afternoon. The mm-hmm. result of that is that Masters coverage ends, I believe, at 5 p.m. on Saturday, and it ends at 3 p.m. on Sunday, which is unheard of early. The only time that that really had ever happened was at the last Masters, and that was only <laughs> moved up because of the, you know, Tiger Woods, uh, because of the rain that was going on on the day. Of- there are no rules anymore, James. It's The whole thing is broken. Where is the sanctity of the normal <laughs> Masters broadcast schedule? That's what I want to know. But anyway, fans should be paying attention to that because it'll be getting darker early and it's really important for them to to make sure that they get all the plan and also to make sure that they abide by these broadcast agreements with the NFL and with college football because those are worth a lot more money on a yearly basis than the Masters is. So it is a little bit of a tightrope this week for CBS, but uh, I think they'll be able to pull it off. All right. Masters ratings. Is the broadcast going to be more or less watched than usual? Here, I'm really putting you on the spot. This is outside your area of expertise. This is, uh, well, this has not been a good year for sports television ratings across the board. Um, The NFL, the NBA, the NHL have all seen pretty precipitous drops since the beginning of the uh, pandemic in March. Uh, But PGA Tour ratings have actually been up year over year, which (laughs) is kind of surprising I'd imagine that we'll probably see a bit of a dip from the last Masters because you've got a few factors here. First, there's the schedule change. Second, it's at a different time of year than fans are expecting for it. Third, it's un- maybe we'll see another Tiger Woods run, but it's unlikely we'll get a storyline that was as good as Tiger's was last year on Sunday. It wouldn't surprise me if the numbers are down, but I don't think it'll be anything crazy or anything that was really... Um, you know, worth sounding any alarm bells over. It's just sort of mm-hmm. the nature of how things are in this wild, turbulent year. All right. And finally, as a self-proclaimed member of the TV community, just as a fan, who are you excited to watch? Or, or is there a TV property or any certain personality that gets you excited for specifically Masters Week this week? Oh, man. Um, Well, obviously, the Homer answer is Jim Nance, right? Because he is the voice of the Masters. Yeah, you got to do better than that. That's such a it's a cliche answer. Well, hey, if when you hear a tradition like any other, like that's got to get you going, whether or not you care about sports television, it should get you going. But I would say Scott Van Pelt is my person Mm -hmm. to watch. I think he does a really great job of sort of underscoring the pageantry of the tournament with making it accessible to to normal golf fans and that's like a really hard tightrope to walk but he seems to walk it so well and so easily every year so i'm excited to see that even though espn only has the first two days of coverage this year as opposed to three days which they're used to uh, i'm interested to see what svp has to offer that's right he always walks that line of you know how do you take this thing seriously but not too seriously All right, what burning questions do we have for the Masters? Uh, The moment our longtime senior writers, Michael Bamberger and Alan Shipnuck, walked on site, I stuck a microphone uh, right in their face to figure out what questions they want the answers to the absolute most this week. So here first is Bamberger. Well, Dylan, like you, I've got broad interests in this game and in this tournament. Of course, I'm very curious to see how the course plays for Bryson DeChambeau if it were dry, which it's not going to be, unfortunately. 
Uh, I'm very curious to see what it'll be like to see a golf tournament played without fans. But uh, and I know you feel the same way. The single biggest thing I'm interested in is to see is how Tiger defends um, because he's not been playing good golf, uh, and yet he has the ability to find something uh, when he comes here, and uh, and how he does that and how it plays out and how he reveals his athleticism from deep inside himself uh, in addition to what we all can see is really one of the things that makes him so fascinating um, as you know many would know uh, after the sex scandal in 2010 he hadn't played for half a year came here and had a t4 uh, a year later he was getting scoopy with the chips and putting poorly t4 uh, 2013 he had a rules debacle t4 so this guy can play golf even when things aren't going his way so just as a sort of mind over matter quality, I'm very eager to see what he does. And I know you you try to stay out of the predictions game, but what are your expectations for the answer to that question? You know, I don't think he can win truthfully, uh, but 280 would be a great goal. Uh, I think he'll probably. I think he can do that. I think he can shoot 280. I think he can have a top 10 finish. Now here's Shipnook. Okay, Shippy, what is your biggest burning question for this week's Masters? Well. For in the press room, the restaurant is not open, and so every day we get the following day's menu, and you have to choose what you're going to order. And it's tremendous pressure to get it right because that can affect your productivity, your your attitude. It's true. There's no buffet option this year for for obvious reasons. So yeah, I, I can understand why that would be of concern. But, but there's not even like the menu where you can kind of see what what how the spirit mm. moves you. You just you gotta you gotta do it the day before. I mean, to commit to fried chicken the day before is a big deal, which is what <laughs> I've done, and now I'm regretting it. But you committed. But anyway, um, the biggest burning question. I mean, the obvious one, of course, is is Bryce and how he's going to attack the golf course and if if the proud. Um, you know, championship stage has always been against national, just gets decimated and uh, demoralized. But really, there's so much focus on Bryce. I'm looking at all the other guys. You think about the, the dudes who haven't won a Masters DJ, Brooks, Rory, JT, John Rom. I mean, it, who, if you take Bryce off the table, who's the favorite? It's really hard to say. And uh, these guys are in varying degrees of form, but. Um, I really feel like one of those five has got to break through at Augusta National sooner rather than later. So uh, I'm going to be watching them very closely. Do you have any predictions? No, I hate predictions. I predict that I'm going to go eat my fried chicken. Finally, it's a major week, so we need some picks, right? Our Josh Sens is a better gambler than he lets on, and he considers the Masters somewhat of a specialty, especially after he hit big on Patrick Reed two years ago when he won in 2018. So what are folks saying about the Masters in Las Vegas, and who should we keep our eyes on? Here's Josh. Well, anytime you're thinking about Augusta, you're thinking about Tiger, and you know, following Tiger's odds, he was hovering around 30 to 1 for a while. He's down to 25 to 1. I still think that's too long. Um, other lines, obviously, everybody's talking about Bryson and bombing, mm. and is he going to be driving the is he, is he going to be driving the first hole is he gonna you know reduce the course to nothing and run away with this thing um he's at eight to one which again strikes me as way way too tight odds i would not lay money on that and you're talking about storylines i mean when we talk about betting in general when we're talking about betting golf people who make money betting golf bet matchups they don't bet guys to win that's just a fool's errand you're that's a dog chasing cars right it's, it's rarely going to happen um 
So uh, and my, my strategy in betting, and I think a lot of golf uh, gamblers, when they look at, you know, to win, they're looking at some of the longer shots who might give you a little more bang for your buck. Nice. Get the matchup guys you think are going to be in it down, down the stretch, but, you know, go for something longer, go for the big, go for the big, uh, the big payday. And I see some, some decent opportunities there. All right. So first, give me who, who are the favorites? So Bryson's at eight to one, who comes right after him? Uh, Bryson's eight to one right now. John Rahm shortly behind him at 11 to one. Rory also at 11 to one. Then DJ, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Brooks Kepka uh, at 18 to one. And are you fading everyone in that group? You know, of those guys, I'd be most inclined to go with Dustin and John Rahm in matchups. Just, just out of my own, probably my own contrarian nature, I like the idea of shorting Bryson in matchups just because he's been just declared the guy who's going to win and it's his to lose. And I'm always suspicious of uh, public consensus like that. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, there's obviously Bryson won the U.S. Open with more than just his driver. But again, here at Augusta, yep. a lot more, as we all know, than just bashing the ball a long way. And any number of these guys can keep it up plenty distance with Bryson. You know, it's not like Bryson's going to dwarf DJ with distance to the point where he's playing a different game. He's going to have to negotiate the same nerves and pitfalls around Amen Corner as everybody else. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an insult to the subtlety of Augusta and to the quality of the rest of the field to assume that Br- Bryson is, uh, is just, you know, it's his to lose. That's silly. Yeah. All right. So betting against the storyline, I think that that's always a pretty solid play. All right. Take us further down the sheet then. Who are, who's catching your eye? Where are your leans? Well, I have to put this in context and saying I think the biggest factor this year is the absence of fans. You know, that's a huge deal. Um, and a couple of guys have already openly spoken this season about feeling more comfortable without the crowds around him. Jason Day did when he was playing in Ohio. He felt like there was a, you know, a veil of pressure lifted. This is a guy who um, has always played Augusta well when he was healthy. He was always a threat. It always was surprising that he had never won there. He'd come close. And now uh, Day, you know, he's, he's had a good week this week in Houston. So his odds have dropped to 33 to one. He was 50 to one last week. I still think at 30 to one, 33 to one, Jason Day is an interesting proposition. But let's not forget, I mean, Frankie Molinari is back in business. He, mm-hmm. was, he was whiskers away from, from, from winning at Augusta. He's taken seven months off. He's back. He's played well this week in Houston. He's 100 to one. That's a decent look, I think, for a player of that quality who's kind of coming in under the radar. Um, And, you know, this is my old soft spot. Do I think he's going to win? No, but I do. I think he'll make it competitive. Lee Westwood at 101, too. Westwood's always played Augusta well. Um, You know, do I expect him to run away with the green jacket down the stretch? No, but I think there's going to be a lot of sentimental moments and exciting moments for us. Westwood fans that make a $10 wager on Westwood Mm -hmm. at 101 well worth the... uh, the payoff, you know, in excitement alone, it's kind of like buying a lotto ticket. You have that brief fantasy and that fantasy alone is worth the dollar. <laughs> worth your investment. All right. And, and last question, you mentioned the fans. Is there anything else in terms of handicapping that is going to be different or, or affecting your plays about it being this time of year versus in April? Well, you know, there's a lot of talk that, you know, it's going to be cooler. The course already long is going to be playing longer still. So, you know, guys like Brendan Todd, who, you know, has had such a great season and has defied a lot of expectations across mm-hmm. the board on playing courses that would seem to set up for bombers. Brendan Todd's a guy I'm not exactly sort of looking to to be right in the mix. Um, 
this has less to do with the course setup, but Justin Rose has just been searching for his game all year. And a guy who has long been within sniffing distance of a green jacket is, does not appeal so much. I think, you know, the cool, cool weather, if it's cooler, if the course is playing longer, it's hard again to be too bullish on Tiger as much as we can never count Tiger out. Um, Tiger also, I think, unlike Jason Day, it's the flip side. You, you might, here's a guy who thrives off the crowds and yeah. gains an advantage from the more spectacular. Um, here he's not going to have that, uh, along with the fact that he's struggling and you know, tr in, in recent years has <laughs> not done well in cool weather. Months ago, we had no idea whether we'd be able to have this Masters. The idea of a fall tournament at Augusta National was unthinkable. I mean, it's been a, a challenging year for so many people, uh, for so many organizations, for for you know entire communities. And to see Tiger Woods and Fred Couples walking up the 18th fairway, you know, two former storied Masters champions, to see Justin Thomas and Bryson DeChambeau, guys that are hunting for their first green jacket alongside Fred and Tiger. It's a simple thing, it's a little thing, but you know, it brought me some joy. I think it's gonna bring a lot of people a lot of joy. And it's pretty cool just to realize that, hey, we made it to the Masters, we're here, time to enjoy it. Thanks so much to Lee Finer, who expertly produced this and all our other episodes. Thanks to the whole gang for joining me for some quick calls to uh, drop some knowledge on the drop zone. And thanks most of all to you guys, the listeners, for tuning in again. You guys are the best. If you like this episode, consider leaving a rating and a review. Uh, those things go a long way. And either way, we'll see you next week, Postmasters, to wrap it all up.